let's pray, and after we pray, we'll begin our study. We're in the ninth chapter of Judges. We, um, uh, the sin, servitude, and grace is, is the theme for our study of Judges. And what a, a challenging book, uh, really a challenging book. Not, not that it's hard to understand. Uh, I think maybe the other way around, it's easy to understand. But, man, alive, there's some tough stuff in here. So, and we'll probably get to some, some of that today in the ninth chapter. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Judges 9, and then uh, let's pray, and we will begin. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this precious day. It is so beautiful. We thank you for the sweet fellowship that we have enjoyed at the tables. We thank you for the delicious food, and pray you use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies Father, I thank you for every person who's come and pray your blessing upon them and their families, particularly as we continue in this holiday season of Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. Father, for for many, it's a time of family and rejoicing. For others, it's a time of of loneliness and and, uh, difficult memories. And so, Father, I pray that whatever the case may be, that you will hug each person in this room up close to your heart and... uh, comfort us and encourage us today, and I pray that in the days to come, our eyes will be on you every moment of every day. Thank you for the book of Judges. We are challenged as we study, and we want very much to apply this to our daily lives, so help us to do that today. Again, thank you for all who are here. Thank you for Irene and her 100 years upon the face of planet Earth. Father, what a blessing she is to everyone who knows her, and we're so grateful that she could be here today. Now bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me, um, we're going to start at verse 42 in a minute, but because we were out last week for Thanksgiving, let me um, just go back for a moment, and, and you see the name at the top of the outline, Abimelech. Abimelech is the son of Gideon, but not by a wife, rather by a concubine. And, and you remember much, to, I think, to our disappointment when we're reading the summary of Gideon's life, a great warrior, great man of God. We find that he uh, had feet of clay, that he was like many who know the Lord, that very sinful nature did not disappear. And uh, he was not always faithful. He had multiple wives and 70 sons, no telling how many daughters, uh, but he had one one son whose name was Abimelech, and that son was by a concubine in another city from where he lived, Shechem. So we are introduced to Abimelech, who uh, is very interested in in power. So we've read in verses one through six about his power grab, and what he did was um, savagely murder his seventy brothers, less one. There is one who uh, was not killed, Jotham. He was the youngest of the brothers, and he had hidden, and so he was not killed, but the other 69 were. Abimelech murdered them, and that, that's horrible to contemplate. The one child who escaped, wasn't a child, he's a man by this time, but his name is Jotham, and, and in verses 7 through 21, he speaks and pronounces a curse uh, upon those who follow uh, Abimelech, the city of Shechem. He makes a, pronounces a curse upon them. And we're going to see today how that curse comes to fruition. 
So we roll along, and two or three years into Abimelech's leadership, uh, there's trouble in Shechem, the very city that put him into leadership uh, rebels against Abimelech. We don't have time to go into all the detail of how that happened, but there is a breakdown in trust between Abimelech and the people of Shechem, and there is a betrayal. They betray him, and so Abimelech comes with his army, and there is a battle in verses 34 to 41. Abimelech won the battle, defeating the army of Shechem. Uh, but interestingly, as we come to the end of that passage, Abimelech did not enter the city of Shechem and occupy it, as you might think he would do. Uh, Rather, he spends the night in a nearby village because he has a plan. And today we're going to see what that plan is. Okay, so that catches us up, and we're at verse 42. So I want to read verses 42 to 49, and uh, then we will talk about it. So verse 42. The next day, the people of Shechem, this is the day after the battle, so Shechem's army has been defeated, but not all the people are killed. Uh, and they're not all soldiers. So the next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields. So life is, goes on. You gotta, you gotta have something to eat. You gotta make a living. So those who remain go out into the fields to work the fields. And this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. Then two companies attacked those in the fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of el When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up Mount Zalman. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders, and he ordered the men with him, Quick, do what I've done. Do what you see me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against a stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. So you're getting a picture now of Shechem, of, of uh, rather of Abimelech, and I've entitled this section "Slaughter in in Shechem" because it was the army of Shechem had already been defeated. So these are civilians, don't even know that they had any way to defend themselves except maybe their field implements or their own hands. So this is the plan that Abimelech had. He was angry with Shechem because they had betrayed him. And uh, perhaps, the, obviously, the people of Shechem thought that they were going to be safe and secure, that, yeah, Abimelech won, and they probably regretted betraying him, but they were not expecting to die the next day. Abimelech did not occupy the city, uh, the village, and so that morning, the next morning, they came out to return to the fields to go back to work. But an angry Abimelech knows what he's going to do. So he hears that the people have come out of the village to work, and he sees the moment uh, to to strike. And so it's a massacre. Shechem is totally surprised. Uh, Abimelech destroys the city and then spreads salt over the ground as a symbol of annihilation. 
A thousand of the residents of Shechem escaped to the temple of El Barith, and there was a tower in that uh, temple, and a thousand people managed to get into it to escape from Abimelech. I'm sure it was a very high tower, and uh, a thousand people got into it, and Abimelech, with them inside, uh, burned the tower, and they all perished. There are a lot of horrible ways to die. I would rank that as one of the worst if you were one in the tower and there's no way out and it's on fire. So we have slaughter in Shechem and in it we see the heart of Abimelech. We, we really should not be surprised by this. A man who would, who would kill his uh, 69 of his 70 brothers uh, and especially the way in which he did it should not surprise us that he would do almost anything. So we come to, to verse 50, and we're going to see the taste of blood and then a rock. How does all that fit together? Well, let's look at verse 50. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower. Uh, just saying that causes you to think, oh, no, not again. Oh, yes, again. Inside the city was a strong tower to which all the, the men and women of the, all the people of the city had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it, but now things shift. As he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. And all of God's people said, Amen. <laughs> Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer. Now, now, get this. Draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed, me, killed him. <laughs> so that's the way you, you want, that's your last words? Is that the way you want to be remembered? So his servant ran him through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. <laughs> Good thing to do. Now, verse 56, thus God repaid. Uh, okay, this is an important verse. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. Now, I'm going to get to verse 57 in a minute. So let's talk about these verses. Abimelech has the taste of blood. He's like a wild animal. And so he's going to go to Thebes, and he's going to do to them what he'd done to Shechem. Thebes is just a few miles northeast, and uh, the people in there fled to a tower, just like Shechem, Shechem had done. And Thebes appears finished. I mean, it's done for. What are you going to do? You know, he's going to burn the place, and you're going to die, except God. Except God. God has a plan. You know, have we? have you had... Have you been at a place in your life when, humanly speaking, there's nothing you can do? And the outcome looks absolutely horrible, whatever it may be. But God. There is that but God moment in which God intervenes and does what only God can do. Well, here's what happened. He used a woman. I don't know why that would have been surprising. But a woman drops a stone, uh, apparently aimed it pretty well. 
and cracks his skull. Death is imminent, not instantaneous, but imminent. So he orders his armor bearer to kill me. Don't, don't want a woman getting credit. That's, that shows, I mean, you know, you see more of the character of Abimelech, what kind of man he was. Uh, but, hey, Abimelech, it's too late. We all know. <laughs> we all know what happened. Too bad, so sad, Abimelech. And the people went home. So he got what he deserved. And if it made it worse for him that a woman did it, so be it. Uh, Abimelech is history, but oh my goodness, look at the damage he did before he died. Now I want to go back and read 56 and 57 again. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. But I also want you to notice 57. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. So our Sympathy begins to kind of be tempered a bit. The curse of Jotham, son of Jerubbaal, which is Gideon, the curse of Jotham, son of Gideon, came on them. Remember, that almost seemed like a minor detail back there. Jotham standing on the mountain, shouting down to the city of Shechem and pronouncing a curse on them. Well, lo and behold, look what happens. The curse becomes a reality. Now... Shechem paid and Abimelech paid. Pretty sobering stuff, isn't it? That's why Judges is like, whoa, man, what's going to happen next? So in 56 and 57, you, you realize what we're reading about, don't you? We're reading about divine judgment. We're reading about divine judgment, which is God's prerogative. God is God and God will always be God. Now, we are accustomed to thinking about and observing and reading about and relishing in and rejoicing in and being thankful for God's grace. But we are warned by his judgment. And it would do us well to not forget the observation that is made in verses 56 and 57. So, allow me, if, 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 if you will... To, to give three lessons that I think we, we see in, in this text. So here, here's, here's the first. Number one, God is not obligated to show grace to sinners. God is not obligated. God is not obligated to do anything except be true to himself. But God is not obligated to show grace to sinners. If he's shown you grace... Praise his holy name. God is not obligated to show grace to sinners. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, according to Ezekiel 33.11. And, and, and I am so sorry I didn't put that in my notes. So I'll write it on the board, Betty. I'm sorry I forgot to put it on the paper. Ezekiel 33:11 God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked but here is a reminder that God can bring judgment rebellion is dangerous and retribution is real Number 2 God is sovereign over evil Please do not think even for a millisecond that God is helpless in the face of evil he is not God is sovereign over evil there is a line between 
evil consequences of our sin and evil that is orchestrated by God. Now, let me explain that. Verse 23 tells us God stirred up the animosity between Abimelech and the city, city citizens of Shechem. Now, mind me, my, mind my words in the scripture. God does not ever do anything evil, but God can use evil that already exists to accomplish his purpose and his plan. So God stirs animosity between Shechem and Abimelech because he has a plan. And we see the plan lived out in these verses where both Abimelech and Shechem pay dearly for their sin. Now, God can use evil to discipline evildoers. God is not the one who makes evil, but he can use evil to discipline evildoers. And he can intervene to limit evil and save sinners, thank God. God does not do evil, but he can use the evil that exists. The removal of the cancer known as Abimelech allows life to return to normal in Israel, at least for a while. Number three, we see a foretaste of hell. Although hell is beyond the horizon of Judges, it's not mentioned in Judges, the book shows us some foretastes of it in this world. Just think of what we've just observed. We think of the hell of Holocaust, the Holocaust. We think of the hell of the killing fields of Pol Pot in Cambodia. We think of the hell of the extinction of Christians in many places in the Middle East today. The, the, the Christian population of Iraq has almost disappeared totally. When just a few years ago, there were millions of Christians in Iraq but not anymore. They've either been killed or driven out of the country. And that's not the only country it's happening in. So we see in these verses the reality of hell as we see the reality of hell in events that even take place in our world today. But remember what is recorded in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, the words of Paul. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, that is, worship of idols. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For, here's what I want us to remember. He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's that? Jesus Christ. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So let's think for a moment about Abimelech. And then we're going to move on. He doesn't deserve any more attention than we've already given him. The story of Abimelech does not make pleasant reading. But like all other parts of Scripture, it is recorded for our good. In its own unique way, it bears witness to the precision of divine judgment. God will make a full end... There will be no unfinished business with him. It warns us 
not to test God by choosing evil. It should make us deeply thankful to God for having mercy on us. And it should rouse us to renewed prayer for those we love who continue to defy him. That he may not visit on them the terrible retribution that they sadly deserve. All right, let's move on. We're going to the 10th chapter and we're going to talk about some minor judges. Now, I put minor in quotes because God didn't say they were minor. I'm just saying they appear minor because there's not much about them. So the first is Tola. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar named Tola, son of Pua, I love this, the son of Dodo. (laughs) You didn't know Dodo was a Bible word, did you? Rose to save Israel. He lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he led Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried in Shamir. And that's it. That's all we know. But you know, there's, there's a lot there in two verses. Tola, Tola led or judged Israel for 23 years. Where were you 23 years ago? Our longest leading president in terms of years was Franklin Roosevelt, who served 12 years. He had been elected to four more years, and had he lived, would have, would have served 16 years. But he died shortly after being inaugurated for the fourth time, so he, he led 12 years. Well, Tola led Israel almost double that. 23 years he led Israel. Now, here's what I will say about, about Tola that I think we can observe from what's in Scripture. Number one, he came after Abimelech, and Israel needed saving. After Abimelech, Israel, Israel needed saving, and Tola did it. Number two, he offered stable leadership. How do I know that? Well, nothing spectacular is mentioned, no great battles, no outside oppression, just steady leadership offered by Tola. That's, that's worth, worth thinking about, being grateful for. Number three, he left Israel better than the way he found it. That's not bad leadership. If you can leave a place as leader better than the way you found it, then that's, that's good leadership. And that's what Tola did. All right, uh, Jair, like hair, Jair. Now, I was hoping that my resident Hebrew scholar would be here today to tell me if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's right in English, but I don't know if it's right in Hebrew. Jair. Where's Will when I need him? He's not here today. Okay. Let's look at verse 3. He was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode 30 donkeys. Now, that tells you something. We're going to find out what that tells you in a minute. They controlled 30 towns in Gilead, which to this day are called Havoth-Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Cayman. That's all we know. Well, we know more than that. Just read the verses. Jair received the gift of prosperity in the land from Tola. So he inherited a good, a good situation. He's from Gilead, a land that's plush, East of the Jordan River, 
Today it would be in, in uh, the country of Jordan, east of the river. Sometimes we think of Jordan as a desert, and parts of it are, believe me, parts of it are, but not all of it. And this part of Jordan is plush, and it was plush then. It's their breadbasket. And so this was a time of peace. Things are going pretty well. But observe, 30 sons. What does that imply? Multiple wives, absolutely, multiple wives. Perhaps like Gideon, Jair had a desire, a secret desire to be king because his, the, because there are 30 cities ruled by his 30 sons. Are all of those sons qualified to be leaders? I doubt it, seriously. Was he seeking a dynasty? Most likely. But he is going to leave Israel unprepared for what is coming because disaster is coming and the sons of Jair are unable to lead effectively and Israel will again need a savior. So let's look at Jephthah. We've got no time. Uh, um, Yeah, let's read these verses and then we'll stop. Uh, There's going to be trouble in Gilead. Under Jephthah, trouble, trouble, trouble. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What? They served the Baals and the Asherahs and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. You know, I only have one thing to say. What is wrong with them? But there may be somebody who would say, well, what's wrong with you? And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. We've heard all that before. Verse 11, the Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. That's an interesting statement. Do whatever you think is best, but please save us now. (laughs) Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. Now, there's a lot there. So that's where we'll pick up next week. You could say, here we go again. How can Israel keep on doing this? Do they not teach history in their schools? <laughs> I mean, do they not know? And, and I'll close with this. They serve the gods of their pagan neighbors, and then their pagan neighbors come and oppress them. When will they ever learn? 
All right, that's where we'll pick up next Wednesday and uh, December 11th. Christmas is coming. You started shopping? All right. Still got plenty of time, but next Wednesday I'm going to say not as much time, okay? Father, thank you. Wow. Thank you for what we learn in, in a passage like this in Judges. And thank you. Father, it just reminds me, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We are so grateful. And I pray that we will live today like we are grateful and thankful for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.